Blog Talk Radio. Flair for the gold. And 1984, it was the Million Dollar Challenge. Now, it's Starcade 85, The Gathering. Already signed for the World's Tag Team Huddle. The Russian team will defend. No disqualification. No time limit in a cage against the Rocket Roll Express. And the NWA World Heavyweight Champion will defend his title that night. It's Starcade 85, The Gathering. Thanksgiving night at the Greensboro Coliseum. And the Omni in Atlanta missed The Gathering. And you miss wrestling history. Here it comes. Blood-chilling fear. Heart-stopping danger. Starcade 86 presents the night of the Skywalker. Okay, first off, before I throw out the beginning of the show, I'll tell you I miss Tony Schiavone from 1986. But that's just the mark in me. Uh, this episode of Verbal Guard Radio, number 80, motherfucking 9, is brought to you by our sponsors, WrestleWarehouse.com. Uh, now's the time. Uh, go check out Wrestle Warehouse. You can get, for the wrestling fan in your life, for Christmas, you can get them Lucha Libre masks, T-shirts, DVDs, pretty much anything you want from WrestleWarehouse.com. And December, tw- December 13th, Fog City Wrestling returns to San Francisco, FogCityWrestling.com. Uh, if you're anywhere in Northern California, um, tomorrow at 10.30 a.m. on KOFY Channel 20, you will catch a half hour uh, from the last Fog City show. Uh, we have Baby Slim taking on Dylan Drake and Olafa the Samoan Tank, the biggest Samoan I've ever seen live. He's bigger than Rikishi, I shit you not, against Raven. And after that, they'll be doing uh, San Francisco Bay Bombers roller derby for an hour. Uh, should be fun stuff. Um, also, I'd like to... Uh, Throw props out to the Drunk Cast, blogtalkradio.com. Search the Drunk Cast on Friday. They will have ROH World Heavyweight Champion Nigel McGuinness. Wow. This is our tribute to pro wrestling on Thanksgiving. Um, uh, <clears throat> I am KZ, your host, and our panelists for the evening. We have <clears throat> representing the F4W Online Empire, Mr. Lyndon Walker, and the audio guru himself, Katreer, and my second most favorite Cuban next to Conan, Big D from AngryMarks.com. Welcome to the roundtable, gentlemen. How's it going? What's up? Woo! Man, I tell you what, I'm the youngest guy on this fucking line, man. Everybody else combined age is like 200. Thank That's God for good, video baby. tapes. <laughs> you know what, though? 
The old school rules all schools, and that's the truth. Yes, exactly. You know, I picture, KZ, like I told you a long time ago, I picture you and Lyndon Walker. I picture your house with, like, DVDs everywhere. There's, like, DVDs coming out of your sandbox. There's, like, in the back of the toilet, you got some DVDs in there. Lyndon's got tapes everywhere, I bet. Tapes, you know, behind his clothes. He's got tapes in his drawers, in his sock drawer. It's awesome. Actually, that's probably my house. That don't sound like my house. But there's a closet full of DVDs, so... There you go. All right, gentlemen, um, tonight we're, we're going to discuss three, four different territories. We're going to talk about uh, Georgia. Uh, we're going to talk about world class. We're going to talk about the World Wrestling Federation uh, before they got the F out um, and the NWA. Uh, we're going to save the best for last. Um, that's just you know my opinion. Uh, as far as um, Georgia is concerned, uh, starting in 1978, on Thanksgiving Day, they started to hold an annual uh, tag team tournament in the Omni in Atlanta. And it looks like one, two, three, four. The first four tournaments, they actually crowned Georgia Tag Team Champions, which is kind of odd. Um, it's not like they really needed to add any spice to the tournaments because, you know, obviously, you know, back in the day, people would eat, you know, eat their, eat their fucking turkey and then they'd go out to the arena and watch pro wrestling. Um, I think that's what's missing now. Um, you know, fuck the workers. Okay, you should you should work on those days. Those were money days. They were money, big money days. Money. Yeah, exactly. You know that. Remember that's, Christmas that's the day? Oh, dude, you know you the, the boys would work that would work Thanksgiving or, or say Christmas. They get that nice payoff, then they go home and hand the money to the old lady. You know the wives never complained. They liked the payoffs. Yeah, but you know what they were doing behind the old lady's back on the road, giving them the old hey. shaft, shaft and cocks, which is one of the teams in the uh, oh, Thanksgiving oh. tournament. Oh, jeez, you had to let it out. All right, um, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna just talk about the uh, the first one, the finals that ended up with the Briscoes and the Funks. Uh, what more can you say with those two families? But uh, we're we're gonna skip to 1979. Um, you know, there's some stacked teams. Uh, we have the Briscoe brothers. Uh, not Jay and Mark, but uh, Jack and Jerry, uh, Austin Idol, uh, Mass Superstar, Hanson, Wahoo, uh, Tony Atlas, Dusty Rhodes, Mr. Wrestling 2, and uh, Big D's favorite team of this whole bracket, Tom Shaft and Carl Cox. Shaft Cox. <laughs> it's got to be That is my favorite team. Booker. That is one of the strangest yep. teams I've ever seen, actually. <laughs> it's got to be a rib on them. It had Holy. to have been. I'll tell you what, this is the uh, this is the card that makes Carl Stern wet with the people on this thing. Yeah, no shit. There I mean, can't be anything worse than a team of Oxbaker and Killer Khan, and then you look down two notches, and it's Tom Shaft and Killer Carl Cox. Like, who put who put that together? Well, Oli did. Oli did. That explains it. Hey, Oli's a <laughs> yeah, funny guy, Oli. man. Like it or not, he might be a racist, but he's a funny guy. Ah, uh, whatever, man. I, you know, it should be like being A to everybody equally. <clears throat> All right, uh, the finals, you know, we're not going to run through everything. It's uh, Idol and Superstar. They defeated the Briscoes. Uh, so the Briscoes made it to the finals twice and lost. Um, yeah, they were they were like that team that, you know, the big baby faces who just almost, almost grabbed the brass ring but couldn't quite do it. And we were talking about before we went on the air, they brought them up from um, from Eddie Graham down here in Tampa. They were, you know, as we know, the Briscoes were huge, and they were 
you know, the, the Georgia tournament had a lot of different territories, you know, of the NWA, Carolinas, everybody pitched in. So it was it was nice. That's that's how it was back in the day. Well, let's not forget, exactly. too, that the Briscoes own part of Georgia, which kind of explains they're getting to the finals a couple of years in a row. He's right, and they sold it to Vince. Yep, yep, eventually. Well, we're going to go back. We're going to go to 1980. Uh, we have Robert Fuller, the Tennessee stud, the man with the largest cock in pro wrestling, um, teaming with uh, Uncle Elmer or Sam Frazier. Um, God. Here's an interesting team. Killer Khan and Offa. Where the fuck is Sika? Was that when Sika broke his leg? That is it. You got Remember it, brother. He broke, he broke his leg for a while. Uh, I think they were in, after they left the WWF and were on their way to Mid-South. So this could be around that time. There it is. There it is. Uh, wow, look at this. We got chicks in the first round. Joyce Grable and Judy Martin. They put over Steve Olsenowski, one of my favorite AWA jobbers from back in the day, and Jerry Roberts, also known as Jacques Rougeau. Yes. Why the hell are they put women in there? That's that's bizarre. That is weird. Well, you got to understand this date. Okay, they uh, Bill Watts in the Mid South was running a big thing as well in the Superdome. So he had Flair, he had he had Dusty, he had Andre, he had everybody there for 1980. So that's why this this tournament was really thin. Um, the Freebirds went over in the finals over Fuller and Elmer. Um, this this started the huge push of the push of the Freebirds. So this was you know they were Robert Fuller was booking at the time, which explains him getting into the finals. There it is. See, That's we two have years politics. in a row we've got that. <laughs> Three years. We we have politics one oh one with, with Lyndon Walker here. But yeah, people say politics started during the D X era. I think not. Shit. Yeah, right. Come on now. I think not. Okay, and uh next up the next the uh, nineteen eighty one. Um this was this was kind of an odd time because this was when the Freebirds broke up. Uh Michael Hayes was teaming with uh I don't know who Big Red was. Oh, but uh, he, was he was a guy who was like big and probably red. Black guy with red hair. Wow. <laughs> he was teaming with Austin. Or they they went against Austin Idol and Terry Gordy in the first round, at, you know, double DQ. So uh, now, now you know, if Big Red came along nowadays, he'd probably sue the gum company because they stole his gimmick. That's how wrestling is nowadays—a bunch of lawsuits. There you go. Yeah, this was this was kind of an interesting tournament. You got the uh, the Sheep Herders, uh, Williams and Boyd. Um, there's a bunch of different teams. You have uh, Honky Tonk Wayne Ferris and uh, Kevin Sullivan, Ray Stevens, who's my personal favorite worker ever, and uh, Super Destroyer, all kinds of different teams. And the, the winners were the Armstrongs, which was Brad and Bob. Because um, they weren't booking. Yeah, they weren't booking. But what, what's kind of interesting is that um, Saito and Fuji were the WWF tag champs at the time in this tournament. Yeah, and I guess that Vince would let his tag champs put over somebody else to make Well, I mean they champs. they went over one, two matches, then they lost in the finals. Yeah, they still looked good, I'm sure. I'm sure it was a competitive match. Mhm. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I'm just I'm rushing through here, but uh I'm in I'm in nineteen eighty two and I'm looking through the brackets and I'm like, We have a great kabuki teaming with Super Dragon. I did not know Super Dragon was around in 82. I thought he was uh, still, like, you know, before being born. That's probably El Padre del Super Dragon. <laughs> no. Actually, actually um, Magic Dragon from World Class. 
Yeah, that's what I was thinking, Magic Dragon, because he would he would come out to uh, he was a job guy in in uh, Mid Atlantic. And if so they may have. Uh, Gary Hart came with him. That would probably explain it. There you go. Uh, Hussein Arabia. I don't know if that would be. That's the Iron Sheik. That would be the Iron Sheik, teaming with Kortia Korchenko, the man with the big furry boots. Yep. And they put. I remember from Mid South. Oh yeah, man, that dude. Yeah, you, know, you know what though? That guy was fucking useless. Other than yeah. the beat down of Bill Watts with the shovel. Other than that, he was fucking utterly useless. Yeah, the angle where they put the Russian flag over him—that was awesome. The greatest angle ever. Yeah, you mean he put the flag on the cowboy when Jr. Yeah. just about lost his mind? Yeah. Oh, I love watching that. Oh man, that was good shit. But yeah, the Moondogs went on to win. This tournament, I'd like to see that second round uh, Moondogs versus Tito Santana and Brad Armstrong match. Hmm. I'm like, you know what? Uh, you know, the Moondogs could go, and that would be probably <clears throat> was probably pretty good. Mm-hmm. Well, at that time it was what Spotty and Spotty and uh, Rex. Rex, Rex, right? Okay, yeah, yeah, because uh, King had his little border issue, I think, in '81. Okay. So that's when yeah, that probably would have been a good match, and you know, probably the ma- the the finals. Uh, Johnny and Tommy would probably have been good because you know they Tommy was you know was white hot. You know, yeah, in Georgia. Probably bled. Yeah, no doubt. Okay, Tommy, my boy, get out the blade, and you know you can hit the mother's milk on out there for the boys. God, you know <laughs> those those that have that have had the pleasure and the privilege to hear at least the first disc of the Ric Flair shoot interview. He did the he did a great Barnett. Yes. Oh, Ricky, my boy. <laughs> God, this shit never gets old, man. But, okay, let's move on to 83. Uh, we have King Kong, Bundy, and Neidhart, which is an interesting team. Um, yeah, in from Memphis. Yeah, in from Memphis. There you go. Uh, Pez Wiley and Butch Reed went on to win. Um, who did they beat? Randy Savage and Magnum TA? That sounds like a Whoa. good team right there. Yeah, no shit. That's kind of an odd odd pairing, isn't it? We've got to find these tapes, man. Lyndon, hook us up. Hey, they're gone. They're gone. If anybody's house was on fire, if anybody has them, it's Ralph Reed. And from what I understand, the guy's like 85 years old and doesn't want to do anything with them. So that's okay. He'll die soon. We'll get him soon. Well, I was told. uh, I heard he has, you know, the big, uh, the big Georgia collection, but he's afraid to do anything with them. So, but the thing about this tournament is, you can see the talent problems that Georgia was starting to get at this time. Because there's a lot of guys here that were brought in from other places. Because there was nobody left in Georgia by late 83. This was the uh, Larry Zabisco, Tim Brooks era, when Ole was completely (laughs) losing his mind. That's where Savage... Now, who were the Bruce brothers? Was that Porkchop Cash and somebody else? Yep, yep, yep. uh, Ole had made a deal with Jarrett to exchange talent back and forth. And that's why you got a bunch of Memphis names in here. Okay. I have no idea who the Mongolians are, though, if anybody has a clue. Um, well, it's not Nikolai Volkov. No, I mean, if it's maybe one of them, maybe the Mongolian from World Class, who later became one of the hillbillies. Was he Cousin Junior or Cousin Luke? Oh, Mighty Igor. But I, 
no idea who the hell they are. And I'm assuming yeah. that question mark turn off must be Alexis Smirnoff with it spelled wrong. That's the only thing I can think of. Yep, I have to agree. Because uh, Lexi was out in Georgia the second half of 83. I feel young. <laughs> Jim Randolph was probably just a job guy. You yeah, know, they I, they used him to fill out the brackets. No clue. Because no at that time, it. at that time, Randy Rose was a job guy. So you know, they they just threw them into, you know, put. I, I'm assuming it was probably a five minute match, you know couple high spots with Pez and then a bear hug by Butch to win it. Um, quick. Boom, 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 boom. And Duggan was in from uh, from Mid-South and uh, <coughs> Bob Brown in from Kansas City. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of people from other territories in this one. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of sad to see the progression or digression, whichever you want to put it. Um, Is that why they stopped doing the tournament? Because I know in 84, I mean, Georgia was still around. Yeah, but it was even worse talent-wise. I mean, I think the tag champs in 84 were uh, Rip Rogers and Ted Oates. So, I mean, they really were uh, dragging the bottom of the barrel for anybody that could work by the time 84 rolled around. They should have brought back Shaft and Cox. (laughs) (laughs) Back to the wow. Had to be a joke. No, it had to have been a rib. Oh. <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, let's shift gears. Let's go south. Um, we're going to go to Dallas, Texas. World class. Um, 1983, the first Thanksgiving Star Wars. Um, if you look at the opening match, you know there are a couple odd names here. We have Johnny Mantel, Mike Reed, and Jose Lothario. They defeated Boris Zukov or Boris Zukov or Jim Nelson, whichever you want to call him. Black Gordman and Tonga John, who is uh, Tonga John was the barbarian, if I remember right. Yeah. He's not related wow. to Samoa Joe. Tonga Dave would be annoyed at me for that. <laughs> I mean, look look at the look at the guys in that. I mean, Black Gordman, he like stands, he sticks out. You know, he he was one hell of a worker back in the day. I didn't even know he was um, Texas. I thought he was strictly L.A. New York. Mm-mm. Hmm. No. He, uh, this he would this, this is a pretty good card, though. I mean, look at the look at the people. On, I mean, I know we're not going through the card yet, but there's some good there's some good potential. I've never seen this card before, but the matches look pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, they're continuing from uh, Christmas of the the year before in the main event with uh, Michael Hayes and Kerry in uh, Loser Leaves Town Cage. Um, this was just it was really getting hot. Hot, hot, hot. Um, since uh, Hayes is in the WWE, I'm really surprised that they haven't done, you know, a Freebird set yet. Um, I think it would be. Well, fun. let me ask you. Let me ask you. When it says loser leaves town, I know he wasn't. He didn't go for good, obviously. How long was he out before he came back? About two months, because he went. Okay, to, so it wasn't. He went was to Georgia. Bullshit. He went to Georgia as a single. Made like two appearances, got into a big blow up with Ole, and ended up right back in Texas. Isn't that the one where he came back? Um, didn't they do a phantom six man title change? And they said for the Von Erichs to get their that the match took place in Georgia, and for the Von Erichs to get their rematch, it had to take place in Texas, and that's how they brought him back. 
Or was this the one yep. where they brought him back to us to Santa Claus in December? Or are they <clears throat> are they both part of the same uh, angle? No, I don't think it was. I don't think that was a Santa Claus one. I don't remember, but well, then again, I wasn't even born then. But from what tapes I'm able to remember, <laughs> I don't think that was a Santa Claus one. I could be wrong. Right, though. This must have been the Phantom Six Man Tag uh, one yet. One now back then, didn't they leave town for? Wasn't it just like for ninety days or something usually? And yeah, those lizard yeah. leave towns back then? Yeah, usually it was a 90-day thing, or sometimes they would do 180. But, yeah, there was usually, like, a time frame involved. Yeah. Well, I, I have to agree with D with the talent here. I mean, you have the Von Erichs, obviously. You have all the Freebirds, Kamala, uh, Junkyard Dog, Iceman Parsons, Jimmy Garvin. I mean, top to bottom. I mean, every match was could have been a main event. With the exception of the, the opener. Well, the Chris Adams match where he beat Jimmy Garvin, I, I think I remember that being like his first real super push. Like that's when he was because you know, the world class American belt. People don't remember that's like that was kind of like their world title, but it really wasn't when they were with the NWA. Um, you know, the obviously the NWA was a traveling champion, but their main territorial belt was that title. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 and that was his, uh, definitely, that was his first big run uh, in Texas, uh, and pretty much in America, because, I mean, he had the short L.A. run and uh, Portland, but this was the first time that he was seen nationally. Mm-hmm. And Chris Adams was Well, yeah, and this, this, well, this was just in the beginning of the, the big, I mean, that was a long program. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kevin and, or, uh, excuse me, Chris Adams and Garvin, that was a, a long program, and they, you know, they brought it all over too. They went up to St. Louis, you know, they they went all over. I mean, they brought it to Houston, which was, you know, Paul Bosch, which was not uh, Von Erich territory, but they would bring in matches. Um, yeah, that was all over the place. It started when he did the thing as the Master Avenger, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Isn't that how it started? Yeah, that was it. Yeah, that's right. Yep. And then the other interesting yeah. thing about the. Uh, about this show is Mike Von Erich was on it, and most people don't realize that Mike actually debuted before David died. Most people think they brought him in as a replacement, but he actually, uh, as you can see by this show, he was around for a good four months uh, before David died. So, But this was his first big match was this Skandor Akbar thing. Mm-hmm. He was pretty much being trained on the job at at this point, and he was like 19 years old and 160 pounds. Okay, wow. we're going to move on to eight, 1984. Uh, Missing Link um, defeated one of my favorites growing up in the AWA, Buck Zumhoff. Uh, Buck, man, if you've never seen Buck Zumhoff, oh God. You can't um, explain <clears> it, you have to see him. Yeah, exactly. And in the second match, um, Stella Mae French, uh, she defeated past Rubber Guard Radio guest uh, Nicola Roberts, uh, otherwise known as Baby Doll. Oh, that was French probably was doing, uh, doing the gimmick where she was Sunshine's aunt, and they brought her mm-hmm. in because Sunshine had a legit uh, mental breakdown, which was pretty much caused by too many consecutive nights staying up drinking Jack Daniels with Buddy Roberts. <laughs> Whatever happened to Sunshine? Uh, no idea. I think Jimmy Garvin said in his shoot that she's just 
living she's married somewhere living as a housewife. They were they were real co- they were cousins, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they were cousins. Pretty scary Interesting. considering that well, you know. <laughs> Watch them kiss all over each other in one of those vignettes at the Yeah. <laughs> I, I know that uh I mean, I know that he ended up marrying Precious, but, yeah, that whole angle, I'm sorry, but I'd be a little bit uncomfortable to do that with a cousin. You know, it's just my opinion. <laughs> again, this is the South. We're talking about the South, Katrere, and Katrere, I'm sure that your birth was similar, you know. Well, my mom's really, my mom's really my sister, so, you know. That doesn't surprise me. <laughs> <laughs> Big D, take the lead. <laughs> my dad's my brother. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm. You go ahead. You take the lead. I'm. I'm just in all Move of on. the encyclop- encyclopedic knowledge here being portrayed <laughs> on the show. <laughs> all right. Next up, Akbar again. Yeah. Uh, crap. Crap. Fantastics. That's strange. Fantastics taking on the PYTs. Coco Coco Ware and Norvell Austin. Okay, and now, that for was anybody good team. that has never seen the PYTs, we need to explain that their gimmick was that they were dueling Michael Jackson impersonators mm-hmm. with the jerry curl hair and the red jackets and the peeking gloves. I mean, it was good stuff. Poor Coco, man, he hasn't had a he hasn't had much success with gimmicks. Remember High Energy? Ooh, with the big baggy pants. Yeah, race car driver looking. Poor guy. <laughs> he went. He had one of the best drop kicks yeah. I've ever seen. That Coco. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I'll tell you, it's stiff. Okay. You um, took it before. I talked to. Him. <clears throat> I have not, but I discussed the match in in detail with Michael Modis. Uh, one of the breaks when we were filming this shoot that you can get at WrestleWarehouse.com. And uh-huh. um, <clears throat> cheap plug. And, yeah, he said that, you know, Coco got him right under the chin. Right under the chin. And he's all, okay, now I know this business is not a shoot. <laughs> so. Now, I remember, um, you, y'all might remember this, too, and, like in one of the clips from Mid-South where he had, like, Gustavo Mendoza with a drop kick and, like, landed right on his head. Do you remember that? I never saw that. You know, Mid-South, that? man, we we got to get some Mid-South DVDs around here, man. That chick needs to, what's his name, Bill Watts' wife needs to give it up. No, no, no. Death Valley Driver put together the definitive collection, 125 matches. I want more. <laughs> I want Flag on the Cowboy on my DVD. Oh, dude. Oh. There's never going to be another angle to touch that one. You might be right. I mean, they tried so hard, you know, in more recent years, but that was insane. I mean, that was like, wow. You know, and JR, man, you know, JR's had some calls in the past, you know. Austin's the champion, you know, the Chris Benoit thing and all these. But that was like the king of all calls, man. Actually, as much as I love that angle, that's not the best Mid-South angle because the best Mid-South angle was the Ric Flair, Ted DiBiase, Dick Murray. Well, okay, yes. That was a match. This is simply the greatest hour of wrestling television ever produced. Episode Damn. 100. Mm-hmm. For one episode. In South, episode TV 100. That that was the one thing that I, I asked Jim Ross about when I, uh, I, wrote, I wrote in a question to his blog. 
and even he admitted that it's like the perfect hour of wrestling television. Mm-hmm. I mean, the way that Ted DiBiase went from the top heel in the company to the absolute top babyface in the span of 44 minutes, and the amazing job Bill Watts did on commentary, getting that thing over, which just shows you, you know, how great it is when you can get your booker to be your color commentator because he can get over all the right stuff, and that was a huge part of that deal. And plus, Are you talking about the bandage and how it might come off? And yep. Mm-hmm. The pressure. Yeah, I remember that. And, and if, if you have children, get them out from in front of the TV because there could be a lot of blood going on here. I mean, it was, it was just tremendous. The most perfect hour. Sure. Watts was always good about logically explaining stuff. Yeah. You know, he can make yeah, everything make sense pretty much. That was his whole thing. It had to make sense. That's why he's so great. Everything had to make sense. There was none of that ludicrousness. If it didn't make sense, he'd lose his mind trying to make it make sense. And Cornette yeah. took a lot of that from him. Exactly. Now, uh, it would be universalarchives.com. Uh, that's Bill Watts' ex-wife's website. It would be uh, Mid-South TV episode number 100. Get it. Get it. I hear someone typing. They're going to the website right now. But I'll tell you, as far as Watts putting stuff over, he understands. He understood. He had to make money. Those asses meant money. He didn't collect money from stock sh- stockholders and you know shares of s- stock being sold. You know he lived hand to mouth, and that's what's missing today. Also, as far as the the, <clears throat> the Russians angle, people don't have an emotional investment there's no one on WWE TV that I care about exactly of course not. so big everybody loved the big cowboy and and by the way you also didn't have Watts coming out with a bunch of kids and then laying out the heel for about 20 minutes therefore thereby killing the big car at the end of the month you didn't have that either so. No, instead, instead you got him standing in the middle of his driveway cutting a passionate promo about godless Russians that are trying to take over our country, which was awesome. Fuck yeah. I mean, that, that, that was the thing, brother, back then. You know, these guys, they, like, uh, I, I, I don't remember who said what, but uh, somewhere I heard that, that Guys that go into fights in, in, like, say, UFC, you can tell the guy who's fighting for his life and the guy who's fighting for money. Now, Bill Watts is going up there, booking shit, putting out cards, putting out TV for his livelihood. Mm-hmm. Okay, Vince can fucking draw zero ratings next week, zero pay-per-view buys next month, and still have money. He's and not keep hungry. In mind, Watts was also doing that in the um, least populated and poorest section of the country. So, I mean, yes. it was harder to draw money there than, you know, anywhere else. It wasn't yeah, that's the area, that area I grew up in, in uh, Louisiana, Mississippi. Contreras mm-hmm. corn-fed. A little bit different than, you know, uh, Big Vince uh, having New York, New York, L.A., uh, Philly, Boston, and Washington, D.C. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. You know, and that that was the thing that made t- territories work. The owners and the bookers were on the same page. They they knew what they had to do to eat for the next week. <clears throat> All right. Now, who's got their notes up? I'm outside, so. Uh, I'm over here. I got my notes up. Where are we going? Uh, Thanksgiving 85. Star Wars 85? Yep. 
All right. Fantasy Gaming Star Wars 85, November 28th. They drew 12,000, which is lower than the last couple of years. Um, I'm not really sure why, because, I mean, I don't think the product fell off that bad. I know that, David, the whole situation happened, but I don't think it fell off that bad. Maybe, maybe Linda, you can give us some insight as to why the, there's a decreasing number of, uh, of, of, of well, seats. Well, at this point, uh, pretty much they had run through the uh, Von Erich Freebird thing, and they had moved on to the Von Erich Dynamic Duo thing. And by this point, they were, uh, you know, way into it and pretty much getting ready to uh, start blowing it off. That was one reason. And the second reason was, if you notice, the undercard talent gets considerably weaker, and that's because Ken Mantell had jumped to uh, work with Bill Watts, and in 85 he took a lot of talent uh, with him. And got them to jump to mid south uh, and, and and leave world class. So by the end of '85, uh, that's where that was going as Watts prepared to switch to the UWF in '86. So there's less okay. talent, and the hot top program is done, and you're starting to see you know a combination of younger names and guys that really would be considered journeyman types. Uh, you know, up and down the, the balance of this card. I mean, when you have Scott Casey in your semifinal, you got a problem. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I have to agree. And before we go any further, gentlemen, um, I do have an announcement regarding next week's show, uh, December 4th. Um, I'm not quite sure who we're going to have on the first hour, but in the second hour we will have the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Dave Meltzer. Um I'm going to have Dave on the second hour next week. Uh, <clears throat> I'll tell you, we're not going to talk about anything current. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, my childhood because Dave was up here with me. So, you know, he was here. He saw all the fun stuff in San Francisco. So, uh, yeah, next week in the second hour will be Mr. Dave Meltzer. So, yes, that will be fun. And we may even just open up the phone lines. Um, we'll see what happens. Uh-oh. But... <laughs> <laughs> Trolls unite, right? Yes. <laughs> Fuck. Actually, you know what? No, I'm not going to open the phone lines. I, I wouldn't yeah, I was going to say, man, that. you're going to get some fucking... Mm, you'll get some smart callers, but... Mm, you know, there's a reason Brian doesn't open up the lines for Dave either. You might want Dave to come back and do the show again one day, so you better not do it. Good point. Now, um... <laughs> Lyndon, Lyndon mentioned that Scott Casey was in the semifinal in 85, and I'm looking at 1986, and he's in the opening match against Killer Tim Brooks. My, has the mighty fallen. And in the second match, we have uh, Crusher Yarkov, who, if you didn't know, was Bam Bam Bigelow, with a lame-ass name. I don't know why they changed it. Um, any ideas there, Lyndon, why they changed his name? No, I've never heard an actual explanation for that. Um, he only did it in world class. Because mm-hmm. he, was, he was Bam Bam Bigelow when he first broke in in Memphis and went right back to it as soon as he left Dallas. So I don't know what that was about, why they did it, you know, throwing in another Russian. Uh, I don't and know. he really didn't do the style that he he was used to doing either. He was, I mean, he didn't do any... He didn't really do any flying like he like he was doing when he first started his career. Now wait a minute. Now, 
Now, 86, that, wasn't that the big Fritz Von Erich return? That was like the huge return, yeah. and they gave Abdul the sleeper hold, and yeah, I, I know what you're talking about, and yeah, there's too many DQs on this fucking card. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, in- Bam Bam in a shoot interview said he, they gave him the name because they wanted something to sound like jerk off or some shit like that. Jeez. That's what he says. And then we have um, Dingo, the Ultimate oh, Warrior. Oh, the great against, Dingo uh, Warrior. Against George Wells, who uh, played football out here for the Oakland Invaders in the USFL. Um, wow, Master G. I'm, You know, I think that <laughs> Master G, they, people dropped the ball on him. He he was good. You know, I, I enjoyed his work. Um, well, no, actually it's more of a case of he dropped the eight ball on himself too many times. There it is. He had a little a little problem with the nose candy, that guy. Okay, well, there you go. And then we have the usual uh, Von Erich bullshit here. Um, You're telling me. You know, it's, and you notice that they only drew 6,000, and this is the, the return of Fritz. Nobody cared. Good God, there there's way to me Von Erich's on this show. <laughs> there's even a fake one, Lance. Yeah, it's on mine. Yeah, but the worst thing of all was that they were actually pushing Black Bart as a top heel. Wasn't now, he did he not even win that right? title? Wasn't it a Phantom title change? Uh, I think so. I think because just Adams was gone one day yeah. and showed up in UWF. There it is. Yeah, and you look at the show <laughs> and you got, like, um, Black Bart challenging for the title and Al Madrill in a big lights-out match with Kevin, and you're like, those two guys should not be at the top of the show. They should barely not be in Texas. Man. Not in Texas. That would have worked I remember in this was, San Francisco, but... I remember this was, uh, during the big... Wasn't it the big Brian Adias feud? Yeah. Yeah. yeah we're now, here, was uh, he the first person to ever beat Mike Von Erich, like, by pinfall or something like that? I think so. I believe so, because they played it up like it's the first time he ever lost. Yeah, the thing I remember about that was him attacking uh, Kerry, you know, when he was fresh out of the hospital after getting his foot amputated. Uh, or no, actually it was him attacking him and then Kerry trying to come back and work too soon that led to him having to go back into the hospital and have his foot amputated. Cause so it wasn't that bullshit story on either of the DVDs, huh? Where he got up in the middle of the night on morphine and just destroyed his ankle? Well, Kevin claimed no. that he got up out of the hospital bed to go get a hamburger. I think that's what he said in his shoot interview. And that destroyed the, the fusing of his ankle. And then the thing I always heard was it was coming back to try to work this match because, you know, Fritz pushed him back into the ring too quickly. Yeah, that's what I, I always heard that too. And Brian Diaz, he was doing that. Oriental spike, and that's what they blamed when Kevin like collapsed in the ring during that six man. Do you remember that? Yeah. And yeah, the fantastic or uh, Tommy Rogers had to give him CPR. And then Fritz yelled at him for making Kevin look weak by giving him CPR in front of the crowd. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's nice. He said oh, that he, he went in to get his he went in to get his paycheck and said thanks for helping my son, but he didn't need it. We'll, we'll move on to 87. Uh, the opening match, Killer Tim Brooks defeating uh, Vic Steamboat. Now, were they shoot brothers? I think so. Mm. Mm. I don't think I, so. I think they were. I think Ricky said that 
that uh, were they? That they were, and wasn't Vic in so, um, the the vignettes they did at at Steamboat Jim? Uh, yeah. Mid Atlantic with uh, was it Orton and Slater? That no, it was uh, Black Bart and Ron Bass. Yeah. That's yeah, right. Wasn't Vic Steamboat in that? Yes, yes it was. he was. He was in there. So his real name's Vic Blood, then. Oh, I don't know that. I don't know. <laughs> Vic Blood. <laughs> I would have kept Richard Blood. Hell with Ricky Steamboat. Well, he wanted to be a good guy. If he was going to be a bad guy, Richard Blood would have been great. <laughs> Dick Blood. <laughs> Dick Blood. Oh, that, does not, that doesn't sound good. Team him up with Shaft and Cox. Might as well. God. We're never going to hear the end of this, are we? Nope. This is the theme of the show. Shafts and cocks. Make him a man with Mahoney. him in there, too. Hey, uh, Lyndon and Katrera, why did Kerry wrestle, or why did he wrestle twice on this show? I never, ever even thought about this show, ever. This is when World Class was like... You know, pretty much an afterthought. Why did he wrestle twice? It says he he wrestled Brian and Alvarez. He had to beat Brian to get the title shot. Oh, okay. Was it but he didn't win the title on this night, did he? Mm. That's bad. Well, I see he wrestled three times. You fought the thing. It's clobbering time. Who was who was the thing? Rip Morgan. From uh. Yeah, from uh, with what from the thing with Deco Victor? I thought it was Ben Grimm. No, it was Rip Morgan. He was a flag bearer for the Sheep Herders in like '88, and oh, he used yeah. to team with Jonathan Boyd as the Sheep Herders, I think, in Memphis once. Yeah. He is actually, I think, he is the nephew of Jonathan Boyd, if I remember right. I think it's Butch Miller. Or yeah, there you go. It was one of them. You know, that would have been a hell of a four-man stable, wouldn't it? Yeah, well, first of all, they were always better when they had Jonathan Boyd with them. Well, wow. that guy could talk, and you know, I mean, they were still so much better as the sheep herders, and and you know, definitely better with Boyd because that's when they would do all the crazy bloody shit. Mm-hmm. Before yeah, they were licking people's foreheads. Rip Morgan, he was the replacement when they got rid of uh, Johnny Ace, mm-hmm. who used to be the uh, flag bearer. Yeah, and Johnny yeah. took over for Jack Victory. Yeah, there it is. Well, okay, let's let's we're, we're talking about the sheep herders. Who do you think were were the best uh, flag holder? I think that it was uh, Jack Victory. You know, he did the barbed wire match. Yes. Yeah. You know the the six bands and that was good stuff. You know, uh, I'm gonna vote James Terry Taylor. And... James, I'm about to cut <laughs> you off, D. Hey, don't. I'm about to mute <laughs> Don't you dare. This is buys. <laughs> buys my ass. This show ain't going to do nothing as far as download. Yeah, Will, dude, you've got God online. This is like this is like fucking Mount Olympus right here. What? I this, this show will do so. This show ain't going to do nothing because I just muted you, D. Uh, now, who's God? All right, we're going to move on to uh, the WWF. Um, the, in 1987, the WWF, they, 
they created the Survivor Series on Thanksgiving to go head-to-head with Starcade 87. Um, let's uh, bring D-, D back in. Now, are you humbled yet? Well, I didn't even know you muted me. You're a dick. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay, anyway, so they, they created the Survivor Series in 87 um, to go head-up with Starcade. Um you know, uh, this is one of my favorite shows, uh, just because of the the ten ten tag team match, the uh, the twenty man match, which was just awesome. I mean, what, what did it go? Thirty seven minutes. That was it. Thirty seven? Really? I thought it went longer. Yeah, I thought it, it was like thirty seven. Is plenty of time, man. The following years, the following years, ten man ten team match went longer. I think. Yeah, it went forty two. Huh. Well, 42, I mean, that's, you know, five minutes longer, but still, I mean, dude, let's not even look at the the other four matches. I mean, look at all the talent in the tag team. You know, yeah, strike absolutely. Force, strike yeah, Force, then the two... Underrated show. The, the, the two gay job guys, um, the Rougeaus, the Killer Bees, and the Bulldogs against the Heart Foundation, the Islanders, which were great heels, great yeah, heel yeah. team. Uh, Demolition, uh, Volkov and uh, Zukov, and Bravo and Valentine. Um, I mean, dude, the the teams that shined here were, you know, were the Bulldogs, the Hearts, and the Islanders. The Islanders were the shit. Um, uh, love the Islanders. I have a two disc heel heel Islanders set that's just blow away. Um, just so much fun. Um, Let's start with you, uh, Chris. What did you think of this show? Or, you know what, let's just talk about this match. What, what did you think of it? I thought it was fantastic. You had all those, had. I would say they WWF probably had, like, the best uh, tag team division at the time. And when you look at all the talent that they had, I mean, they had all these great teams. And um, I was shocked who survived at the end because you probably had the two lowest teams on the totem pole, you know, coming out uh, – with the victory, yeah, I think and the bees and the young stallions. Yeah, to give them some instant credibility since they were pretty much seen as, uh, I mean, they were TV job guys for three years straight before this, so I guess they figured, you know, this is a, a, a way to give them a big win without having to put the titles on them. Mm-hmm. Well, they they did get that one win on Superstars, that tag team, or that uh, count-out win over uh, Sika and Kamala. There you go. And they also they did the uh, reversal win against the Hart Foundation when they were the champions. Remember when Mr. T came out and reversed the decision or something like that? Mm-hmm. I'll tell you though the uh, the build up to this show is interesting. We, we got to talk about that as well because I remember they built it up as um, Hogan and Andre had not stepped into like Andre had not stepped into the ring since WrestleMania three. You know the big match. So this was like their first, I guess you can say, encounter like physical encounter. Um, you know, since WrestleMania three, and I remember Andre won, and I remember when he won, there was a huge pop, and you would think that there wouldn't be because Hogan was like the biggest thing in wrestling then. You know, he was, you know, not to use the word again, but he was God to all these people. But Andre won, and he got a pop, and it was kind of a shitty finish though. The, uh, you know, the countouts, like everybody was counted out. It was well, they bizarre. Hogan that was just Hogan. Total dick on this show, because Andre wins the match completely clean, and then Hogan, looking like the biggest asshole on the planet, 
doesn't let him celebrate and comes back out and ruins it for him by, you know, beating him up and then standing and posing in the ring. And, you know, they made Hogan look like the biggest dick on the planet doing that. I mean, what a, you know, what a poor sport. What a sore loser they made him look like. It, it came across as very, uh, very juvenile and unlikable. So that, that kind of, you know, played into well, this, the whole... Well, this, uh, this, this match was the... The uh, let's put Bigelow over and let him shine show. I mean, he yeah, he definitely he shined. Yeah, you know, and then he, you know, he put over Andre in the end, and this, you know, this led to Andre and Bigelow at house shows. And I guess Bigelow pissed off Andre because Andre, you know, was like, okay, fuck this guy. You know, <clears throat> they were they yeah, were big, the big Bigelow push was, Bigelow. was awesome. Because I had the feeling they were going to go with Bigelow uh, with Hogan after Andre. That was my feeling that they were going to build him up, and then have uh, Bigelow t- uh, turn on on Hogan, and that was it. Yeah, but, but I guess the, it. The bad part about the whole Bigelow thing was Sir Oliver Humperdinck is a babyface, because that mm-hmm. didn't fit, and their plan was to bring him in and make him like you know the redheaded Lou Albano, without you know the whole uh, alcohol problem, and uh, completely failed. I mean that was horrible. Yeah, he, had that, he came out as Paul Orndorff's new manager one week. And then the Correct me if I'm wrong, but weren't when they were first introducing Bigelow, didn't they um, have Slick first like talk about how he was bringing in Bigelow? And I think all the managers, like, they did a thing where all the managers, like, bid on him. Yeah, they did. The battle for Bam Bam. Did they? Yeah, I remember yeah. that. They, they, they did, like, a bid, and then he went with Oliver Humperdinck. The same thing they did with Savage when he came in, when they had all the yeah. managers. Yeah, and it was Elizabeth. And then the, uh, the the other thing that stands out about this show is, do you remember the Aftermags making a, a huge stink about Steamboat being on the same team with Savage and Roberts? Yeah. That uh, it was, you know, that it's one thing for, for heels who are getting paid to team up with former enemies, but there's no way Steamboat should be teaming up with those guys after, you know, everything they put him through the year before and then, because this was less than a year after, you know, from the the Savage Bell thing. In fact, this was what six months after after Mania three. So exactly. A deal about that. But you know mm-hmm. what I what I found out recently was he wasn't even supposed to be on this show. That, it was Junkyard Dog. Yes, Junkyard Dog was supposed to have that spot, and he had one of his uh, incidents where he got fired. And they switched it and brought Steamboat back and put him in the spot. And uh, that's how you ended up with that, that weird tag team. But they actually uh, had Junkyard Dog in that spot and hyped him on TV for a couple of weeks before they did the switch. Did, did they run an angle like having you know Steamboat cut a promo about how he didn't trust Savage? Or did they just put him on no. there and that was it? They just, they just put him on there. The show. That's shocking, because usually back then they actually thought about these things, you know? Well, well, they had Paul Ondor teaming with Hulk Hogan. But at least Hulk yeah, but that Hogan. was before the turn. That that was before the the, the, the uh, Pearl Harbor. No. Well, no, that was like one. a year after, a year and a half after that. Oh, you're right. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It was way, yeah, you're right, but it was way after the Pearl Harbor. Yeah, well, the worst one of those we'll get to in a little bit, which was the uh, the year when they had Piper and Snooka on the same team. Yeah, <laughs> but at least in the in the build up to this show, they had when Hogan had his team out there. He was, you know, he he 
he brought up about the stuff with him and Orndorff the year before, so they didn't totally bypass that going into the Yeah, they didn't ignore it like with Steamboat. All right, we're going to move on to 88. Um, we'll, we'll skip the first one, um, The Ultimate Idiot. Oh, God, they were, you know, they were getting him ready. Um, the, uh, the the 20-man was, you know, more talent. Awesome. So awesome, Robert, awesome angle. The Heart Foundation and the two job guys that take it in the ass uh, against Demolition, Arn and Tully, Nikolai and Boris, Raymond and Jacques New Heels, and the Conquistadors, who were really fun to watch, especially on house shows. Um, I'll tell you, the team that shined in this were the Brainbusters. The way they showed that fluid NWA tag style when they were working guys in the corner, and I was, I was like, oh, dude, you guys are in the wrong company. But um, <laughs> well, let's talk about the turn. Um, Lyndon. Mm-hmm. Well, do it uh, to it. The failed turn. They they did it. Um, pretty much the deal was Fuji uh, turned on demolition, and then the powers of pain turned heel and. Uh, hooked up with Fuji, and, but what happened was, the way they did it, uh, it didn't get over in the building, because if you watch the show, what you'll see is, people actually in the building thought Fuji turned face, and they were still cheering the powers of pain, after the, after the turn, and they were still booing demolition, and it wasn't until the match was over, when the powers of pain had Fuji up on their shoulders, and uh, Demolition came back out and, and cleaned house, that the people in the building realized what was going on, and they got, you know, uh, they got the big pop. It actually came across better for the people watching on TV because at least you had, you know, Monsoon and Ventura explaining it, where in the building it was just shit on. I mean, And the, re- the, the whole thing with Fuji holding the ropes over that. Uh, that always seemed kind of weird to me, because it, it's just like he jumps up there for really no reason, and yeah. you know, just held the ropes open or whatever, and yeah, it, it didn't make much sense to me. Sense, the way they the way they did it too. I mean, it's like if you're going to turn on your team, why are you going to wait until you know there's only four teams left? It's like, um, how would you know beforehand that you were ever going to get into that spot? It was one of those one of those wrestling deals where if you actually think about it, it makes no sense. Like, this is the guy's plan. But and why would you turn on your team when they're the champions? Yeah. That yeah. Too. I mean, that that never makes sense when people do that. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was a very, this was a very poor turn. I remember this very poor. Like, you, you're describing it to a T, and it was a double turn, but people thought it was just Fuji turning, and it was, I guess you could say a triple turn, but, and then, uh, are we going to talk about the incident with uh, Dynamite and uh, and the Rougeos? Yeah, sure, go for it. All right, well, basically, uh, from what I know, um, Dynamite punched, was it Jacques in the mouth, I think, in, like, Florida, and, like, busted his lip, and then, (laughs) I'm trying to summarize it. I don't want to go through the whole story. So then Raymond punches him in the mouth, and then I believe, what? Actually, it was Jacques Jacques punched Dynamite in the mouth. Yeah, that's what I said. No, Jacques punched dynamite in the mouth. Did I say Raymond? Yeah. I fucked up. Yeah. My bad. I'm well, anyway, I'm gonna make my I'm gonna make my baby face come back. 
Exactly. Yeah, that's what he said. That's what he said. He's going to make his baby face come back. And he was all nervous about it because Vince held a meeting at like 2 and they showed up late. And he told them in the meeting, no more fighting. And they were like, well, we know what the meeting's about, so we're not going to meet with Vince. So that way he doesn't have a reason to fire us. And then uh, they were in a cafeteria or some shit. All the hearts leave and it's just dynamite by himself. He walks up to Jacques and then Jacques just whacks him right in the mouth and he goes down to a knee and then Pat Patterson like screams like a woman and everybody breaks it up and then... Like, they thought they were going to get fired, and, well, what, what can you say? And then the Bulldogs quit. Which is yes, they were on their way out. Apparently, they were already on their way out. Yeah, this was their last show, which is why uh, Jacques was worried that, you know, they were going to pull some kind of retaliation because they had nothing to lose. So uh, Pat Patterson put the match together so that the Rougeos would go out first. And the Bulldogs had to work, like, another half an hour after that. And uh, pretty much what happened was Jacques and Ramon were already in their cars on the way to the airport by the time the match ended. <laughs> and not, and soon, soon after this, Jacques went to the police academy, and, you know, the rest is uh, Canadian Mountie history. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and Dynamite there went it is. Uh, back to Calgary and uh, pretty much, you know, Book stampede in, uh, into its grave. And, now and the Bulldogs had to stay in, stay in that entire forty minutes of that match, pretty much. That was smart. That was good good booking by Pat. And Dynamite <laughs> had a satellite dish sticking out of his toe now. Okay. Yeah, you probably don't know what I'm talking about, so never mind. <laughs> never mind. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Got to cough it out. Yeah, I know it's the I gimmick. Was thinking, I, I was thinking, you know, I was on Terry's show. Sorry, guys. But um, all right now. All right, Team Andre versus Team King Duggan was the next match. He wasn't the king yet. Yeah, that's right. It was before Carly Race was the king. You're right. No, Haku was there the king. Go. Oh, that's right, Haku. Haku yeah, there's so many kings that are in this era. Fuck me. Yeah. Well, I think that that. Haku should have went back to King Tonga, but that's just me. I mean, I loved his stuff in Canada and the AWA before he came. Um, he was awesome. Um, you know, actually, you know what? Even even you know the Islanders run, and then even a little after, you know, he was still good. He doesn't get the credit that uh, that he deserves as a worker. Sure, he's the toughest motherfucker ever in the business. Yes, but Haku or you know, whatever the fuck you want to call him, he was a damn good worker. I enjoyed his team with the Barbarian. I thought they were really good. Yeah. Mm. Uh, they the were. Faces of Fear? Yeah. <clears throat> well, they were called that in WCW. I think in, in WWE they were just Haku and the Barbarian. I don't think they called Yeah, they, they had a good match with the Rockers at WrestleMania 7. Okay. If I remember correctly. Hello. Chris, you can't give them that kind of credit. Okay, I know, I, I know. In, I know. In a tag match, it takes four guys to dance. I understand that, but you can't put it on them. They were carried by Sean and Marty. They were carried to a good match. Just they were in a great match with the Rockers at WrestleMania Seven. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. <laughs> hey, hey now. Why was Casey in this match? They needed talent. I mean, who, yeah, that was random. Somebody? They had Wait. him and Jim Brunzel. Didn't they? No, that was another match. Wait, uh, Casey was Casey was feuding with uh, Bass at that time, if I remember right. 
No, this was Beefcake and Bass, because they were in that other match that we didn't go over. Mm. It was after he attacked him, you know, when he cost him his title shot. Right, and then the, uh, yeah, the, uh, the thinger. The, uh... Yeah, I thought Scott uh, Casey and Brunzel were both subbing for people. Think so? I think maybe Don Morocco was supposed to be on one of these teams. Maybe Junkyard Dog, too, because they both left about the same time. Yeah, they got fired together after some kind of incident on a plane, uh, you know, again, drug-related. And yeah. They, yeah, and that may be, yeah, that makes sense. It's possible. <clears throat> okay. And then the main uh, event was uh, Team Hogan versus uh, the Million Dollar Team, which that name, the Million Dollar Team, had been used uh, pretty much every year. But I actually liked this team, even though I was a little bit confused that Red Rooster was on DiBiase's team. I don't recall him being ever a heel, and if he was, he was a poor one. No, he was with him. I just thought it was weird seeing Coco in the main event of the pay-per-view. And Billy Jones. <sighs> yeah. And Red Rooster, for goodness sake. Talk about sin. Yeah. yeah, but this whole match was made to build up the uh, the Mega Powers. That's all this was. They survived. There you go. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to skip 89, and uh, we're going yeah, right to uh, we're gonna get right to 1990. Um, Wait, before before you go to that, though, I do have to say 89 <laughs> is famous for having the uh, the last, I believe it was the last match of, uh, of Arn Anderson's career in the WWF. I think a few days before something happened with Tully where he failed a drug test and he couldn't go back to the NWA because they heard about it or something like that. And then it was, uh, I believe it was, um, yeah, Arn's last match and um, Bobby Heenan ended up replacing Tully. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Uh, basically, they had signed with WCW beforehand. Uh, they conveniently drug tested Tully and of course he failed because they knew he was going to, you know, the whole time. And then Jim Hurd, being a moron, uh, decided to, you know, pull Tully's contract offer and cut Arn's money in half because he thought Arn wasn't worth as much without Tully, which was ridiculous. And, uh, yeah, so that was that was the whole drama going on behind the scenes with, with this show. And then the other thing was the whole Piper and Snooker teaming together deal, which pretty much had everyone that I knew uh, convinced, and this was the speculation at the time, that it was all a setup for Snooker to turn heel and for them to do Piper Snooker again with Snooker as the heel this time. That makes sense. It, it made total sense. And then the other thing was the weird way they presented it on TV because Monsoon and Heenan on primetime would talk about the history between Piper and Snooker but they never said anything about it on the regular weekend syndicated shows. It was, like, so weird. They would talk about it on primetime as a, a thing to add something to the match, but on the main shows, they pretended like it never happened. And then, of mm, course, we, nothing happened in the match, and it was, like, this huge disappointment, and it didn't make any sense to have them teaming up, and nobody knows why Snooka started barking at this point in time for no reason. And, uh, yeah, you know, I actually watched, real, real quick, I actually watched this card when I was a kid. This was like the second pay-per-view I ever watched, I, I believe. And I actually thought during the Team Hogan versus the Million Dollar Team that Hogan was going to lose. I actually thought that because they had built up the match so well. I think it was, 
I believe it was Hogan and Roberts against DiBiase in the end, and then Roberts was out, so I was like, and Hogan was like knocked out. He was in the ring like looking unconscious. You know, you're a little kid. I was, oh, I was five, and I, I marked out thinking he might actually lose, but he won because he's Hogan. Yeah, exactly. Okay, um, 1990 was was rather uneventful, um, with the exception of the debut of The Undertaker. Um, wow. What more can I say? No, hey, talk about that. The, the Survivor Series match, the Million Dollar Team against Dusty's team. The finals were DiBiase versus Bret Hart. What a match. What an ex- Do you remember the, the, the exchanges these guys had at the end of this match? Good stuff. Yeah. Great stuff. Yep. And Britt's brother died the day before, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Dean, I think his name was. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, then, then they go. had, this was only the only year they ever did the, uh, what do they call it? The, uh, the, the. Grand finale. Of, yeah, the grand finale. Yeah, exactly. They, that's something they should bring back. I like that idea. That's actually a good concept. They just only did it one year. Yep, and of course Hogan and Warrior won because I know they wanted to do the rematch at WrestleMania um, seven, but it never went about. But I mean, you can, once again, you can't have those guys lose. It's you know how it was back then. Well, the other yeah, thing well, was back then the teams made a lot more sense because they had you know everybody was hooked up with managers, so you always had two or three guys from the same stable on a team. So at least there was some kind of continuity that made it easier to remember who was going to be there. I mean, this year they brought back the stupid, you know, the five-on-five thing, and it was so stupid because you had no idea who was on whose team, why they were teaming together. They never did those, you know, completely convoluted schmazes that they used to do back in the day uh, so you'd know who was with who. I mean, I'm listening to reviews of this year's Survivor Series the next day, and after the show, I didn't know who was on what team. So <laughs> that's because you know. they waited for the last two weeks to announce this match. It was terrible. It was very bad. Worst build-up ever to a Survivor Series. Yeah, I I have to agree. Uh, this year's Survivor Series is I don't know. It's they need to change the name. It's no longer the Survivor Series, as far as I'm concerned. Um, you know what? The, so you, you know, know what though. They couldn't build up that, but they had to show us 800 video packages to remind us that John Cena was coming back to uh, cure the world of AIDS and cancer. But they couldn't build up two matches. So. Well, or they uh, need to the... go back to the to the team concept and pick captains, and then you know spend a month or six weeks with these guys putting their teams together on TV, so you understand Draft. you know who's Recruit. along with who and why and and. You know, have them actually like recruiting team members or something. Yeah, what was they, stupid they, about it is they had the they had the Raw women against the SmackDown women, but in the two male matches they had like Raw guys and SmackDown and ECW guys all teaming together. It didn't make yeah. much sense to me. And they've been doing that for two years. And and MVP on the same team when they spent like a year and a half of JBL on commentary talking about how much he hates MVP. That's <laughs> they're teaming together for absolutely you know no reason. Anything can happen in the WWE Universe. Casey, come on now. <laughs> All right, now, we, we sifted through the sh- bullshit. We sifted through the crap. Now we're going to get to the main event, the real motherfucking deal. Uh, we forgot Survivor Series 91, man. We cannot 
not talk that about was, that. That was Thanksgiving Eve. Oh, was it? Oh, I thought yeah, it was Thanksgiving right. Day. No, nope. that was okay, the first one. That was Thanksgiving Eve. Yeah. Okay, never mind then. Now, November twenty fourth, nineteen eighty three, a flare for the gold, Starcade eighty three, um, and the Greensboro Coliseum packed them in fifteen thousand four hundred forty seven. And shown in closed circuit TV all around the Carolinas, drawing forty thousand. Um, I mean, what, what what can you say? I mean, let, let's we'll look at the card just offhand. Um, there are three standout matches, and they're the the three there on the bottom are on the main event of the cards. Um, we have uh, Piper Valentine in the dog collar, um, Steamboat and Jay, Steamboat and Jay against the Briscoes, and Flair and Race in the cage. Um, Let's let's start with Lyndon. Um, what was your favorite match out of those three? Uh, out of those three, probably the tag match. Uh, simply, you know, because it was so so different to see the Briscoes playing heel. Exactly. And they were so cool doing it because they had this this dynamic that nobody else has ever done as a heel, where Jerry Briscoe was like the cocky, arrogant, talking shit punk who wasn't afraid because he had his big brother behind him who was the tough one. And I've never seen another team do that besides them. Because if you watch their stuff from when they were playing heels, uh, Jerry would go out and do all of the trash talking and, you know, cut a good heel promo and Jack would just stand there with this stone look on his face. And it was like, you know, it was like Jerry was like that Weasley little kid who knew nobody was going to pick on him because his big brother was like the baddest dude on the block. And and I always dug that about uh, about their little heel run there. Well, Jack was never much of a promo. True. You know, he was always, you know, hey, I'm the best in the, the world. Worker. That's why I have this belt on my shoulder. That's why this belt's here, right here. You know, he never really had to cut a promo because he had the greatest trophy in all of sports. So, you know, he he, he comes from a time when you didn't have to cut a promo to, to draw money. I mean, it helped, but, you know, he can he can do his talking in the ring. Um, Chris, what was uh, your favorite match on this, on this card here? Um, probably the dog collar match with uh, Piper and Valentine. You know, um, listening to the uh, the uh, Ric Flair shoot, he uh, talked about this match, and and this was not supposed to be the blow off. This was supposed to continue the feud, but a month later, Piper went to New York. So, and then Valentine went not not long after, huh? Yeah. Yeah, and then they did the Piper's Pit with uh, Valentine and Albano, where Lou Albano made peace between Valentine and Piper, and it was the last time that something from another promotion was was mentioned on WWF TV pretty much until Flair came in with the big gold belt. Yeah. So would you say this, this, that Piper's pit was the catalyst for Vince saying, hey, 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 now? Uh, I just think it was one of those Luke feels because, uh, well, two things. Number one, in 84, 
he was still kind of acknowledging other things because he also did the deal where he was kissing the Von Erich's ass on, on his own TV. Um, mm-hmm. So it wasn't like he had fully instituted the nobody else exists rule uh, at that point. And then the other part of it was this match was so high profile and got so much magazine play that you kind of needed to address it because it was just so well known. I mean, you know, there was a, a picture of Piper with his bloody ear on the cover of Pro Wrestling Illustrated. Um, you know, and, and then you had the, it was also on that uh, videotape that came out that was like the first uh, major wrestling commercial uh, videotape. Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings. And it was with Bill after and Gordon Sully. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that they charged like 60 bucks for in the back of the aftermath. <laughs> Unbelievable. But, uh, yeah, that, that's why they ha- kind of had to do it, because it was such a, you know, it was such a big uh, such a big deal at the time. Mm-hmm. So, D, uh, what was your favorite match on this show? Well, I got to agree with Katrera, man. Dog collar match all the way. In, in terms of brutality, um, this, this was hardcore before it became a cliche. You know what I mean? And the build-up to this was awesome. But in my opinion, the best build-up on the card was to the main event, um, a flair for the gold, you know, where Harley Race um, put a bounty on Ric Flair, which had been done a bunch of times, you know, in that, in that territory. But this one was, was much more high-profile. And I'll be honest, the match it really does not age well. I mean, that's the truth in my opinion. It, it's good. Hmm? The, the, you know what? The, the, the match is fine. It's the finish. The finish was, yeah, the, the crossbody was a little bit botched. And uh, I did like the, the flair celebration. That was awesome. That was a great moment. But in turn, yeah, you're right. That crossbody, man, that just didn't, didn't look right. Yeah, Kaniski was too slow and kept getting in their way throughout the whole match. Yeah, he was. Well, I think Dick the Bruiser has gets the award for the slowest ref in Starcade history. Well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> but, uh, oh, and the other thing about this show is if, if you want to talk, you know, blood and guts hardcore, we got to mention that awesome blade job that Scott McGee did in the second match on this show. When uh, <laughs> Gary Hart comes up on the apron... Picks up, lifts his pants up to his knee so everybody can see exactly what he's doing. Pulls a giant spike out of his boot, hands it to Mark <laughs> Lewin, who just proceeds to um, pretty much just rip open Scott McGee's head. And then uh, Angelo Mosca comes in to make the save, and Lewin stabs him in the arm with the spike. And, uh, you know, pretty much. Uh, that was about as bloody gory as it comes. And then they have Mosca cutting a promo in the locker room with, with what appeared to be a 12-year-old Tony Schiavone. And the camera, after the end of the promo, slowly pans to the right. And pretty much there lies Scott McGee's dead body. Because he's laying there unconscious with his eyes closed and just covered in blood. And it's like, this guy may be dead and you're cutting a promo right here. I mean, it was... Awesome. Oh. Okay. Hey, this, yeah, this was a bloody pro wrestling card, man. And you know what's funny? Abdul the Butcher and Carlos Colon had a match, and that was like the War of Puerto Rico. I mean, these guys in Puerto Rico, you know, bled buckets every night. 
but this match was nowhere close to being com- anything compared to what you just talked about, or the dog collar no. match, or even no. you know Valiant and Kabuki. Yeah, but I love Gordon Foley's explanation of it about how um, it was too bloody and too violent, so the match was banned in Puerto Rico. But Cologne wanted his revenge so badly that he bought a plane ticket and flew to the states so he could get a shot at Abdullah the Butcher one more time. <laughs> what was and funny is um, Abdullah the Butcher actually elbow dropped the referee. Yes, and it that was funny as hell. Though. They actually choreographed that great. Yeah, he that was funny. the elbow on, on, on Carlos, and he moved, and uh, the referee was down because he was he had just uh, I think there was just a two count, and Abdullah got up and went to drop the elbow, and Cologne moved and he dropped it right on the uh, right on the ref. Just the fact that a match was too violent for Puerto Rico is pretty amusing. Yes. That cracked me up. <laughs> and who was the second out there with Abdullah? Was that Gary Royal? You know, he interfered at the end of the match. He had bleach blonde hair. Yeah, they had a lot of jobbers running around just doing grunt work, you know, all throughout mm-hmm. the show. And then, oh, by the way, we also have to mention the uh, Dick Slater and Bob Orton trying to break Wahoo's arm on this show. Yeah. And then um incredibly strange spot where they're, uh, Wahoo's on the ring apron, and they're holding his arm out, and Slater climbs up to the top rope to come down on the, come down on the arm, and then seems to get scared, chicken out, climb down, and just jump off the apron on it, and then Bob Orton just goes, you know, fuck this. If you're going to do it, do it right. And Slater grabs, <laughs> uh, grabs the arm, Wahoo's arm, and Orton climbs to the top rope and just comes flying off, and it looked like he ripped his arm right out of the socket, uh, coming from the top to the floor. I mean, you know, that was absolutely sick. That was a great tag team, uh, Orton and Slater. And one thing I agree with Dick Slater about is when he came to the WWF in 87 and they made him a babyface, he wanted to come in as a heel and put his team back together with Orton. And instead they put Orton with Morocco. They should have put Orton and Slater back together in 87. Orton could have got another three years out of his uh, WWF run if they would have done that. The rebel Dick Slater. Now I'll tell you, with the, the angle with Harley and and Dick and uh, uh uh, Bobby Jr., um, you know, going after Flair, that also gave them built-in challengers for right after Flair, you know, was going through his rematches with, with um, Harley. So those were two built-in challengers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, well, yeah, that was you it. Know, he could wrestle Orton and Slater on the house shows while Harley was defending the NWA title, you know. Other yeah, there you go. During the whole, the whole build-up. Now, is this the show where uh, Vince tried to get Harley to come to WWF? Yes. Yep. Before it happened? Okay. They they were together the night before in New York. And I did dig the um, locker room interviews all throughout this show. I thought that, yeah, was, that was a cool, cool. concept, and I, I'm shocked nobody else ever did it. And then the thing that I liked about it also was the interviews were so calm. Nobody yelled. Flair didn't do any, you know, of the Flair cliche stuff that that people say he did, you know, his detractors say that uh, 
he did too much. Everybody was low key. Everybody was business. Like focused. Just these tremendous sit down interviews that made every point crystal clear. Mhm. It definitely the felt like back. a big show. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. The aftermath was kind of repeated when they did the um, when Flair got the title back from Vader. Yeah. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And they did all the stuff in the back with him. Yeah, they were mirroring the show with that. Yeah. Yeah, they were totally mirroring the show. I'll tell you though, the the one guy, he didn't have a match, but he was the smartest man on the card, and that was Angelo Mosca. I knew you were going to say that. After the main event, when they're holding up Ric Flair, he's sitting there with his Pro Wrestling Illustrated T-shirt. Okay, yep. you know this guy's going to get his picture taken by Bill Apter. <laughs> and he didn't that work a fucking match. got his picture from that night run in that magazine at least 25 times just because he wore that shirt all night. There you go. <laughs> he wore that shirt when he did the run-in the first time. He wore that shirt when he did the, the locker room next to Scott McGee's uh, corpse. He wore that shirt for the celebration at the end, and he was in that magazine for the next five years straight every time they needed a picture of Angelo Mosca for whatever reason. It was always that picture. I wish they had Wrestling Observer shirts back then. (laughs) I want one. I'll have to ask Dave next week. (laughs) Hey, man, I want an Observer shirt. Yeah, send me an Observer shirt. That's about as close as you'll get. (laughs) How about an MMA Observer shirt? How about an MMA Torch shirt? Nobody will even know it exists. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's damn true. True Now on the back it says 10 stars. (laughs) <laughs> what if someone okay. has a website and no one knows it exists? Does it count? Oh, boy. That's true. Well, I mean, <laughs> I, I have a website that hasn't been updated in months, but, you know, there's still people who go there. Yeah, with all the stuffless plugging that you do, people are going to go there. Well, you know, half of my archives are up there, brother. Block yep. Talk can't hold all of them. Nope. You know, we hey, I'll tell you, what about, are we going to move on to 84, the million-dollar challenge, which, by the way, pissed me off, let me just say. The dusty finish. Um, yeah. Oh, I thought you were going to refer to the start of the Denny Brown era. Hey, you know what? <laughs> Denny Brown was a hell of a worker. Denny Brown. He was Brown. a hell of a worker. He was, he was the, the uh, perennial NWA junior champion, but, you know, and he worked, you know, every house show. He was opening match, and he was usually a main event on TV or, you know, close. He was one of those higher-tier jobbers. But, you know, when it came to the junior heavyweights, he was really, really good. And he was a solid hand. They kept bringing him in to do TV jobs into the the, uh, early 90s. He was doing jobs for Disney taping. I didn't like this card. I wasn't a big fan of this one either. Yeah, I did not oh. like Stark Starcade Two. Mm-hmm. Electric mm-hmm. Boogaloo. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Electric Boogaloo. Starcade Two, the Human Tornado. Now, D, are you telling me that you did not like Tully and Steamboat? Yeah, that was about it. I liked Tully and Steamboat. I liked uh, the Cole lost against Anderson and Larson. That was okay. Uh, and the main event was fine until the finish. I hate. I'm sorry, but I hate the finish. But wait till we get to 87, because that was the dusty finish that everybody talks about. I think I think y'all know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Chicago. Now, was Dusty supposed to um, 
end up wrestling Joe Frazier or something after this? But it Dusty didn't happen. Was, yeah. Dusty was. That's what word was. Flair, Flair and Ishud said that he didn't hear about that. Now I think that, you know, he's not saying anything about it. Just, just because. But I, I think it was. And you, you know, know, it's a, it's a sh- go ahead. Dusty didn't even hit a good one. That's the thing. He didn't even mm-hmm. hit a good one. Which is it's a shame know? that it took them so many years before we saw the fat white guy against the black boxer. We saw it this year at WrestleMania. That's that's when it actually happened. Uh, oh, yeah. At least he hit a better one than Luger in 88. Mm, that's true. Yeah, that's true. That was horrible. <laughs> yeah. So you look you at know, this just, show, there's a lot of shitty workers on this show. Yeah, there are. Paul Jones... Paul Jones way behind his 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 time. Jimmy Dine, who's never been, oh God, the assassin at the end of his career. I mean, he looked like a bullfrog with that second chin. It it wasn't as bad as when he came back to manage Orndorff and he was too fat for his own mask. (laughs) Remember that that face would stick out of the bottom of his mask. (laughs) God. Jimmy Valiant was still feuding with Paul Jones in 1984. And 1985 and 1987. That was a feud that wouldn't end. You know, I think they're next door neighbors right now and they're still feuding. (laughs) Get your tree off my lot. I could never get into Jimmy Valiant. And I didn't get the whole Keith Larson thing. I mean... Then he, that was Rocky Carnota, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If, if they're going to do the deal where he's Don Carnota's brother, the Russians injure Carnota, he asks Larson to take his place in the match, but why is he still Keith Larson? Shouldn't he then admit that his name is Rocky Carnota and do that? And why do that angle to begin with anyway? Nobody gave a shit about Keith Larson. At least Don Carnota could work. It would have been a the way observer match with him in there to bump all over the place for Nikita. Now, how did Ole come up teaming with him? I mean, how did the story go with Ole teaming with him? Because uh, Ole uh, was Kernodal's, uh trainer. He uh, broke him into the business. Okay. So I think they used that storyline to explain why uh, Ole was Kernodal's partner. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, we're going to move on to 85. Um, oh, yeah. This has my favorite Starcade match ever. Uh, Magnum T.A. and Tully Blanchard, I quit in the steel cage. That is um, beautiful. I, I watched the match today, and it still stands the test of time. Um, I mean, we're we're talking, what, 25, uh, 23 years ago? Um, amazing. Uh, this match still just brutal, brutal stuff. Um, I mean, this, this from top to bottom, we have the rock and rolls, um, winning the titles from the Russians. Um, you know, we had uh, on top Dusty, you know, the Dusty finish. Um, Which pissed me off. Oh, n- not Two just Two years you. in a row. Not just you. It's like, why yeah. couldn't he just, it's like, damn it, Dusty, just take the belt. And, you know, we got to talk about also, this was the first card to be taking place from two different buildings at once, and then WrestleMania no, tried to top it. What? Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. It was Greensboro and, and Atlanta, and then uh, WrestleMania the next year did uh, three. 
three different uh, arenas. But uh, that's a, 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 one of those ideas that sounds good on paper, but wound up not being that good of an idea. But it kind of worked, you know, back then. Kind of did. Well, the reason okay. it worked better back then was they gave both venues a full lineup of matches. That's Unlike true. WrestleMania, where everybody only got three, uh, four. Four. So, you know, instead of getting four matches, they got eight in each place here. So at least they took care of the people that way. And you had some of the, a couple of territories would show it on closed circuit, but they'd also have their own matches in a, in one of the arenas. Yeah, they did. Like they a, did that for the Superdome. The Superdome, they did it for a yeah. couple of these. Um, now. I'm not sure if 24/7, you know, aired the complete show, but I have seen satellite feed of this show, and the Denny Brown Rocky King match from Greensboro was brilliant. It was everything that an opening match needed to be. It was a dark had, match. Yeah, it was a dark match, and I don't know. I don't know if it made the 24/7 uh, tele- telecast or not, but it was good stuff. Um, I mean, not just because I'm a Denny Brown mark, but I also love Rocky King. You know, that's, you know, Little Richard. Um, that was good. You know, he, it was just a really fun match. Um, but we had uh, Ron Bass and Black Bart, you know, finishing up their thing in the bull rope. And, yeah, Ron uh, Bass was you know, face. I didn't get that one. Yeah, I couldn't believe that one either. But you know what, though? He was fighting a big, ugly heel, so it really didn't matter. I believe um, everybody, I, just about everybody, bladed on the show. Yeah, there was a lot of blood on this one, man. They didn't save it. <laughs> okay, uh, Lyndon, mm-hmm. what what match you know that you've seen of this show that you just couldn't couldn't stand? Uh, I don't know if there's anything on here that I you know completely couldn't stand. I mean, well. I, I guarantee you, I fast-forwarded over uh, anything involving Jimmy Valiant is my usual rule. Although in this case, with the Midnight Express involved, it was a little painful to do. But probably if I had to pick the one thing on this show uh, that was probably the worst would have to be the, the Billy Graham Barbarian. Sad. Since, you know, Sad. The arm wrestling thing. Washed up Ugh. and Barbarian wasn't good yet. It was sad, sad time. This was when he reverted back to his old look, huh? Or mm-hmm. he wasn't the karate guy yeah. anymore. No, it was the year before he was the karate dude. And then he went with the tie-dye again. Yeah, the bald tie-dye. But I, I will say, though, um, as you were saying earlier, Magnum and Tully, man, that's, you know, that was brutal, dude. And that match, I think it's on that steel cage set that WWE put out. Mm-hmm. People listening, if you can't white get the Starcade, watch that match because... Other than Flair and, and Funk, that's like the best I quit match ever. And he wins because he sticks a, um, a leg of a chair into Tully's forehead, and he's gushing blood. And th- that was like how you blow off a feud right there. Yeah, well, that's the old Terry Funk finish. Uh, he came mm-hmm. up with that where you just grab, a, grab an object and stick it in a guy's eye because, you know, nobody's going to look down on you for quitting if somebody's trying to pull your eye out. Yeah, you're talking about in Memphis. My eye, Lawler. My goddamn eye. Mm-hmm. But he did that back in the 70s with Dusty in Florida, too. I mean, he did that yeah. way back. Uh, well, no, that was, know, you know what? That was no, Dusty, or 
Terry got that finish from his dad. It was big mm-hmm. in Amarillo, and because it kept it, it kept both guys strong. I mean, exactly, dude, someone sticking something in your fucking eye, thing. obviously you're gonna give up. Yeah, but it also shows the brutality and the seriousness of the feud. Like, you know, this, Magnum hated him so much that he stuck a fucking leg in of wood in his eye. That's like, you, you know, the next best thing would be to shoot the guy. It was it was good wrestling, man. That's what wrestling should be, that kind of shit. Oh, and the other thing that sucked on this show has to be the Mexican death match, yeah. which was um, Abdullah Manning. Guerrero on a pole match, and... Whoever, well, it would be Dusty, came up with the genius idea of booking a match where Abdullah the Butcher has to climb a pole. Not exactly the best idea in the world. Is this the match where Manny Fernandez said that everybody left after watching his match? Yes. Yes. (laughs) I never knew that. Well, Manny Fernandez is not exactly sane, so I wouldn't exactly uh, take anything he says, you know, literally. Hold on. Yeah, I mean, Abdullah climbing a pole... Not a good idea. Okay. That's like when they booked John Tenna against Big Bubba in that pole match, like in 96 or something like that. Ugh. Yeah, and Jimmy Hart had to climb the pole. Nobody <laughs> yeah. Had you got these two fat guys. You're, you're, you're talking about the, pole. the uh, roll of quarters on a pole, right? Yeah. Silver dollars. Silver dollars. Thank you. Yeah. Now, Lyndon, um, since you made that comment about Manny Fernandez, I just texted him and asked him to call into the show. Um, because I feel that you need to answer for your comments about my boy. Uh-oh. So hopefully uh, the Raging Bull, you know, is not sleeping. Um, he is out in Carolina right now, so hopefully he can call in. So um, <clears throat> hold your breath. You you may get a phone call from the Raging Bull. Okay. Well, you know, whatever. Ask him if he was really in Vietnam. Yeah, or if he really <laughs> took the 72 Dolphins. <laughs> <laughs> You guys are brutal. Come on. Hey, man, he's a good dude. He's a fucking nut. But, you know, they call him Switch. So, there you go. He's never... He's a good worker. I, I like. I always liked him. He's a good worker. Mm-hmm. Well, we, we, we brought up Manny. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to go around the round table. Um, first off, uh, what, what was your favorite Manny Fernandez match? Linden. Uh, hmm... Good question. Mm-hmm. I like the one. I you remember the deal he did with Terry Funk in Florida with the microphone? Yes. Mhm. That was cool. I'll go with that. That little mm-hmm. angle. Thing. Chris. Uh, I only started watching '85, so I like his team with Rick Rude. They had some good matches with the Rock and Roll Express. Mhm. Like the one where the titles changed hands. He had some good matches. He had a good match on TBS with Arn Anderson when he first came in. The TV title and, match, right? Yeah. Yeah, that was good. And the and then the six man or the six man against the Horseman, where he teamed with Dusty and Magnum, that was great. Too. Oh yeah, the one at the it, it was at the end of '85. Yeah, it was at your store Yeah, yeah it's in it's on the Horseman DVD. Um, yeah, that was good. Uh, Big D, your favorite Manny Fernandez moment. Well, like Katrera, I started a little late, so I didn't see much of Manny's career, but thanks to the magic of videotapes and DVDs, the one that comes to mind was, for I, I don't know, they wrestled a bunch of times, I can't give you the exact date, but it was Manny and Thunderbolt Patterson against the Andersons. I don't remember exactly which one, 
but it was good, whichever one I saw. <laughs> whichever one. Yeah, Manny must have worked 90% of that match if it was good, then. Because no Thunderbolt my, anything good. My, my, favorite, uh, my favorite Manny match, um, there's two. Uh, there's one that he had on a, in a high school up here in Northern California in 97 with Michael Modest, which was just a blow-away match. Big shock. Uh, that's, well, come on now. Two of my favorite all-time workers. And, and then the other one was from Houston TV, Southwest, uh, Nick Bockwinkel against Manny Fernandez, the one that's on the Wrestling Gold set. Uh, they went 10 minutes, and that was just fucking awesome. They had so much, they put so much shit in that 10 minutes. Manny was a fucking Puerto Rican jumping bean. I mean, he was all over the place. I know you guys have seen that match. Yeah. Yeah, I have the Wrestling Gold DVDs. I, I have it, but what I haven't watched it all the way through. Yes, yeah. it's good with uh, with Meltzer and Cornette commentating. Exactly. Why they didn't make more of those, I have no idea. They made like four, I think. Yeah, they did no. the, the the later ones with the Smoky Mountain and OVW stuff. OVW. Yeah. So it was six discs total. Yep. What about 86, man? The uh, Night of the Skywalkers, another card that, quite honestly, mm, I'm sorry, but the whole scaffold deal, I don't like scaffold matches. Uh, honestly, at the time, I thought it was cool as hell, but then I was like 14, so, you know, obviously the idea of a sca- scaffold match would have been really cool when you were 14 years old. Now I watch it, and I'm like, you know, this sucks, but... Back then? You fast forward to see Jim Cornette fall off the scaffold. Break his leg. And and another, by by the way, another DQ finish in the main event. Boy, these Starcades really piss me off. I hate DQ finishes at Starcade. If it's your big show, look, I mean, okay, everybody says NWA had better wrestling for the most part, and it did, but you got to give WWE credit. For WrestleMania, 90% of the time, the main events have clean finishes. So... Damn, with the fucking DQs. Well, they really <laughs> couldn't do anything clean involving Nikita at this time, though. Yeah, he had just turned, so beating him would make no sense. Yeah, if you didn't want to put a, you know, put the belt on him, there really wasn't much you can do. I know, but show, three years in a row, it's kind of, you know. Show also <clears throat> now, the uh, Kansas Jayhawks, one of the most forgettable tag teams ever. What? They were horrible. I love Bobby Jaggers, man. They did, they he was didn't uh, get over he for was, shit, though. He was Buddy Rose Jr. Yeah, but Come you on know now. What? You knew you were bad. If you were part of the crew that Crockett sent out to Central State, you knew you sucked. Because that <laughs> was where he buried everybody. There you go. Now, how about the, uh, the, the build-up for the scaffold match where the Road Warriors were dropping the watermelons? Yes. Off the, gap, off the building, that was awesome. Um, and Hulk wrestled with a broken leg, didn't he? Yeah. Animal, I think it was. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Hulk yeah, was, wrestling on a scaffold with a broken leg is one of the most um, either gutsiest or stupidest things that anybody's ever done. Wait, was it Hulk or Animal? Hulk. It was Hulk. Oh, I thought it was Animal. Okay. I think he broke uh, it in Japan. I don't, that, I don't think Animal's mm-hmm. stupid enough to do that. But Hawk yeah, is it was totally Hulk. the type that would just, you know, do some shit and not feel pain and go on up. And there you go. 
You know, we had uh, Tully and Dusty in the uh, the first blood match. Um, it's a tremendous that was Vaseline spot. Brilliant. Brilliant. Fantastic. How has nobody stolen that? Yeah, no shit. Uh, going back to the main event, you you got to actually see a penis suplex. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's you know what I'm talking about? Tommy Young. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Tommy Young was all over that dick, wasn't he? Probably wasn't the first time. <laughs> this show has jumped the shark. <laughs> Jimmy oh, Valiant God. and Paul Jones again. Uh, yeah. hair versus hair. Two of my least favorite people. There you go. Paul Jones and is least, horrible. The at least afterwards, he's, 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 yeah, and at least after the Jimmy Valiant thing, Paul Jones got a. Well, at least he had a good team to manage in uh, Fernandez and Rick Rude. He wasn't managing like Baron Von Raschke and the Barbarian anymore. Yeah, but he was such a prick that his own team hated him. Yeah. Put the shit in his hat. That's a great Manny. That's my favorite Manny Fernandez moment right there. Taking a shit in his own hat. I couldn't stand looking at Big Mama. Her tits are too big. Yeah, Contreras and Gopher tits. Oh, my God. And this, by the way, this card was also a uh, one of those double arena cards, Greensboro and Atlanta against. Just so everybody knows. Oh yes. And they had Rick Rude yeah. against Wahoo McDaniel in a strap match. Was that good? Brutal. I don't remember that. It was brutal. Wahoo couldn't do a thing. Okay. And Rick Rude, you know, still stiff as a board. Not, you know, he hasn't loosened loosened up at all. So they they decide, okay, we're gonna just whip the living fuck out of each other. You know, Wahoo being, you know, the tough guy, um, and Rude being, a, you know, pretty much a bodybuilding pussy, Rude was taking all the straps, and that shit was brutal, man. I mean, he his back was tore up at the end of the match, which, that was awesome. But the, the one match here that really stands out to me is um, <clears throat> the Louisville Street Fight. Yes. Bubba Rogers and Ronnie Garvin. I mean, you t- you want to talk potatoes. Oh, okay? yeah. Bubba oh, didn't care. God. Was Bubba brutal. never gave a shit. Neither did Ronnie. Yeah. Oh, my God. Brutal. Brutal. Speaking of brutal and Ronnie, are we going to get to 87? Because that's... Yeah. Oh, man. (laughs) One of my favorite and least favorite cards ever. (laughs) You know? I thought it was a good show overall. Yeah, I thought thought so, too. Um, You know, there was the the all-star six-man tag that started off. I really did that. Uh, that was cool. That was that was a good match. Good. Very. Oh, we gotta tell everybody though. This was also the first Starcade after the uh, Crockett had purchased the UWF Mid South and and took all the guys. So this had a bunch of unification matches and it also had like Sting debuting and and whatnot and you know things like that where you started getting the UWF Mid South, the Watts guys into uh, NWA. The yeah, production team on this show. The production team on the show pulled a TNA, and they totally missed, like, Sting's suicide dive over the top rope at the beginning of the match. Anybody remember that? Uh, you know, this this was the show that, that they, they took away from the Carolinas. And yeah. this was, uh, you know, beginning and the end of the Starcade, you know, um, uh, glory, glory years. Um, you know, it, it really... It's a shame because it, it Starcade should have stayed in the Carolinas because that's where it's from. That's where it was made. 
Um, yeah, that, that the opening match, you know, the all-star six-man was good. And then we had seven minutes of Wyndham and Williams, which is a crying shame. Awesome. And that was awesome. Finish. Agreed. I, that's one of my absolute least favorite uh, wrestling cliched horrible finishes. That ranks right up there with the both guys' shoulders are down after the back suplex and one guy picks it up at two. That's the worst. But the leapfrog leading to the accidental nut shot and the ref stoppage, probably number two. Well, the thing is, you would think it would be an accident, too. Like, it actually kind of looks like an accident, but, you know, it's a work. Now, also, this card had the Rock and Rolls and the Midnights in an actual good scaffold match. I think I'm the only person who actually likes the scaffold match. I thought it was good. I like the aftermath when Bubba and Ricky Morton were on the scaffold, and he points out to the crowd, and he looks, and then he punches him in the nuts and runs off. <laughs> yeah, that down was scaffold. awesome. Realistic, this too. Was not, this was not their better, their best scaffold match, I'll tell you that. Um they, the ones that they had in the Mid-South were, were just yeah. amazingly, just because the scaffold was so so damn high. You know, and at this time, I don't know. For me, the feud was kind of drying up. Um, even, you know, they interchanged the lane, but still. Um, the next match, uh, Terry Taylor got buried, literally, oh. by Nikita. Yeah, I love this match. for that. I don't know. I, I love this match. I thought that was awesome. TV title unification. He won. I think he won with a lariat, right? Of course. Russian yeah. sickle. Sickle. The yeah, nasty why, ass. The nasty lariat. But why put mm-hmm. Nikita out there for 19 minutes and then only give Doctor Death and Barry Windham seven? Makes no sense. Exactly. Who booked his garbage? Well, Doctor Death was with the UWF, so you know. Yeah. <laughs> all right, D. It's all you, brother. We have Arnold. Oh Anderson man. Holy Blanchard against the Road Warriors. Thank you, thank you. Okay, this match, tremendous build-up. We saw war games, everything, all the shit that the the Road Warriors have been through with the um, with the Horsemen. This match, Chicago, the Road Warriors' hometown, you know, quote unquote. The Road Warriors win, and then the Dusty finish. They reverse the decision. Killed supposedly this supposedly. Now I don't know exactly, but I would assume it's true. This killed Chicago. I mean, I think, like, the next time they ran Chicago was, like, for a major show was, I think, Steamboat Flair won. I could be wrong on that one, though. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, man, this was, uh, (laughs) this was bullshit. The perfect time to do a title change in the hometown. The crowd went nuts. I mean, this was, like, uh, a legitimate, insane pop. And then they killed the crowd. And then we had two cage matches back-to-back, which... I don't care if it's Starcade. I'm not a fan of having two cage matches back to back. I don't like that. Well, the other thing with the the Tullyarn Road Warriors thing is, wasn't that the match where um, JJ actually got paid more than Tully and Arn? And it yes. was kind of the start of. Uh, I thought it was Paul Ellering. Tully and Arn leaving. It was Ellering. Yeah, it was Ellering. And JJ yeah, too. El- I think Jimmy got like fifteen hundred more than uh, didn't didn't Tully and Arn get like thirty five hundred for the match and JJ got five grand. I think you're right. I think I think that was on the Horseman DVD. Mhm. Yeah. Ain't that some bullshit? <laughs> yeah, and that, that was pretty much the start of Tully and Arn leaving. Was that payoff? 
Well, Dusty fucked himself. He was booking this show. I think he fucked himself. And then also, Dusty and Luger, well, <laughs> he fucked himself by booking himself in a match with Luger, but this actually wasn't even that bad. I didn't think it was that bad. Uh, I love the fact that Luger screams in all his matches. Um, I'm sure you guys have noticed it. He screams at the top of his lungs whenever he does a move. Ah! Ah! And that in itself is entertainment. I remember at the time, I liked the finish of J.J. throwing the chair over the top of the cage. I actually mm-hmm. thought that was cool. Yeah, I have to agree with you. That that was a, a really good finish. Um, you know, J.J. doesn't get enough credit, I think, as far as being a really good manager like that. That's true. That's true. J.J. was awesome. The thing about J.J. was always he had a different dynamic with the horsemen than the other other managers would because other managers, it was always the wrestlers worked for them. But with J.J., it was J.J. worked for the horsemen. So it was like this whole different dynamic because, like, you could tell that everything mattered to J.J. when he was at ringside because he had everything riding on his, you know, job with these guys. And so he was just more animated than almost anybody. He came off like a, more like a concerned businessman than a, you know, than a manager. Mm-hmm. He, looked, yep. he seemed like a guy who was agree. losing money when his guys lost matches. He was pissed, basically. You know, also, this was the card that went head-to-head with Survivor Series, the first one that we talked about earlier, and uh, it's really sad because I know it would have been much more successful um, had it not be, had it been unopposed, you know. Um, and I believe this was um, the last time they ran on Thanksgiving. I think. I think at that, after yeah, that they went Thanksgiving. Yeah, they, they went to like December. Five cable systems. Yeah, what a bunch of crap. Basically, what happened is, for those who don't know, Vince called up the cable companies and said, "You have to run Survivor Series and not Starcade." And if you don't, you're not getting WrestleMania 4. Now, with WrestleMania 3 being the biggest thing ever, most of the cable systems, other than 5, like you said, um, obviously chose Vince, and that was, like, the biggest screw job ever. I mean, that was, you want to talk about dirty business. That's, that was filthy. Yep. <laughs> filthy. And that's why it's such a fucking joke when Vince uh, bitches and moans about uh, Ted Turner putting Nitro head-to-head with Raw. Because... This was way worse, and what he did was far more predatory than what, you know, WCW did with Nitro. That's exactly what I said for years. In my um, Monday Night Wars DVD review on AngryMarks.com, I point out the hypocrisy of that whole DVD. Well, why else would you put Nitro against Raw unless you wanted to compete? Blah, blah, blah. They wanted to, to hurt us. What he did, that's so dirty. I mean, fuck, dude, this is... I mean, that was cutthroat right there. Yeah, it's not giving, even giving them a chance to compete when you threaten the cable systems like that. I mean, it's not competition. And then I think they made a deal where they said we can't. I think there was a deal made where they said no more pay-per-views on the same day, I think, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Crockett moved his show to the afternoon. He was going to let – he was totally cool with the uh, cable companies offering them up as a, as a package. Where instead of like fifteen bucks a piece, because that's what a pay-per-view cost back then, if cable companies wanted to offer up, say, both shows for twenty-five bucks, Crockett was cool with that, and he moved his show to like four o'clock in the afternoon, and Vince yep. wanted no part of it. And nope. he told him, "You don't, you don't get WrestleMania if you air his show," and pretty much 
Nobody did. And the ironic part is one of the few cable companies that actually aired Starcade was uh, the one in San Jose, which is why the Observer had both shows covered uh, the next week because Dave was one of the few people that got both. No, he wasn't. That's what he said. <laughs> he wasn't the only one, brother. Lucky. Up here. Few people. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Well, it's we, not a lot of people compared to how many could have got them both. That's a bunch well, of yeah, bullshit. That's, that's very true. But, guys, uh, we're going to wrap up a little bit early. Um, I'm being yanked off the air. Uh, first off, uh, Mr. Walker, do you have anything you'd like to plug? Not really. Everything. Tremendous. Here, nothing going on here. Cool. Thanks for coming on, Lyndon. It was uh, it was my pleasure. It was uh, a nice walk down memory lane, brother. I hope we'll have you on uh, sometime in December, hopefully. Anytime. Encyclopedia, Lyndon. How's the how's the health, by the way, brother? How you doing? Yeah, better now, but uh, extra strength Vicodin goes a long way. I hear you. Sure does. I hear you. All right. Well, that was uh, Mr. Walker. So. Let's, Wait, aren't uh, we going to talk about Flair and, and, and Garvin and how they gave the belt no. to Garvin and he didn't draw no. and all that bullshit? No. No. It was a joke, and we're not going to mention it. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Also, so Garvin got the title because nobody else wanted it. Case closed. There it is. Did he told you. it for two months, I think. Yeah. Something like that. He got booed out go. of the houses, and they pulled him off the road. The only good matches he had were with Bubba Rogers. Hey, as he had some good matches with Greg Valentine in WWF. But this uh, was as the champion. Oh, okay. Jeez. Well, Mr. Couture, you have the office to uh, plug pretty much whatever you want, as long as it has nothing to do with the PW Torch. Well, then I got nothing to plug. No, he's not Derek Bergen. <laughs> No, I have nothing to plug. Cool. Just wish everybody a happy Thanksgiving. You can plug my butt. Wish wish everybody a happy Thanksgiving. All right. Hey, Katrina, what are you wearing? Okay, that's it. I'm cutting you guys off. Okay, I'm never coming on this show again. No, don't cut me off. I got to plug some shit. (laughs) Danny, 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 Danny. Don't use my real name. Danny. Mr. Big. Can I, can, I, can I plug something? We got five minutes, man. You ain't plugging me. No, I'm not going to plug you. But can I please plug something real quick? It's important. Sure, you got five minutes. Okay. Angrymarks.com is the website. There's a bunch of new shit up. Monday was Edge Appreciation Day. We got a bunch of Edge videos up. A lot of bunch of columns from me and the other people about the greatness or the lack thereof of Edge. But don't listen to them because they're wrong. Edge is great. Um, the big announcement. Big D and the Super Friends back. Tuesday night, 10 o'clock p.m., we're back. Uh, should be a fun show, uh, 60 minutes or more. We're talking what MMA can learn from wrestling what, and boxing and what boxing can learn from both of them and what MMA and what wrestling can learn from both of them. We're going to talk about the pros and cons of each business and how they can borrow from each other to make themselves better. Um, and uh, that's it. Oh, and I also want to plug FightGameBlog.com. If you're looking for the the best columns and information of wrestling, um, MMA, boxing, it's all on FightGameBlog. 
We're talking about uh, we cover you know we cover DVD reviews. We've got um, 24/7 recaps of, of specials. Like I said, boxing. It's myself, Rohiblius, and Alan Forel, and a few others too. But those are the ones that the people from Figure Four know. Wow, that's uh, that's quite a little click you got there, bro. You should check it out, man. It's lightgameblog.com. It's one of those, you know, we, we're like the only ones that really cover boxing that much. Rohiblius loves boxing, so check it out. And plus, uh, i got to give you the link to um, the Big D and Sewer Friends show. It's blogtalkradio.com slash emperor underscore big underscore D. 10 o'clock Tuesday night, the, the great return. And uh, I expect to have everybody who's ever been on my show call in to uh, wish me a happy return and, and whatnot. Maybe. We'll see. <laughs> that's it we'll for me, see. man. I, that's it. And, and rubberguardradio.com, of course. Oh, and wrestlewarehouse.com. There's a shoot interview with Mike Modest on there. I didn't do it. Some punk motherfucker did it, but it's real good. Tremendous. Now hang up, Dean. All right. All right, brother. Thanks for coming on, man. It was fun. Thanks, man. <clears throat> All right. That was angrymarch.com's Big D. Um, yes, the D stands for dick, but wow, guys, uh, we survived another another show. Two hours from walking down memory lane for Thanksgiving, uh, pro wrestling on Thanksgiving. It was fucking awesome. Um, not sure who we're going to have in the first hour next week, but in the second hour, we will have the wrestling observer himself, Mr. Dave Meltzer. Um, yes, Mr. Meltzer will be on. We probably won't talk about anything current uh, since uh, Dave and I are from Northern California. Uh, we're probably going to talk about uh, Roy Shire, uh, San Francisco Territory, all that fun shit, uh, roller derby, um, other stuff. Um, yeah, WrestleWarehouse.com and FogCityWrestling.com. Uh, you can hit us on MySpace, MySpace.com backslash RubberGuardRadio. You can email me personally, K-I-D-Z-O-M-B-I-E 2000 at AOL.com. Or you can check out my unupdated website, RubberGuardRadio.com. And I would like to wish each and every one of you a very safe and happy Thanksgiving. And uh, we'll be talking to you guys in December. Good night.